this is Future Diaries, a podcast from the future, from the future. Welcome to Future Diaries, the podcast that transcends space and time. I am Antonius. And I'm Mike. And we're intertemporal gliders. We search for and share stories across the multiverse, aiming to inspire listeners to build better presents and futures. And I'm Caitlin, an intertemporal scribe. I aim to make the stories we encounter relatable to audiences across the multiverse. In our last episode, we heard from a guest whose story pushes the very definition of narrative. You can say that again. They were what's known as a messenger. In their universe, composed entirely of narratives and their component parts, messengers convey meaning and connect stories by linking narrative strands and maintaining the information flow from one strand to another. Their universe is beyond conventions like naming or even chronology. It was so enriching to hear from the messenger, and we look forward to catching up with them in the, or I should say, our future. More about today, though. A couple weeks ago, I was playing again with my aftermarket radio mod, which allows me to tune in to intertemporal frequencies across the multiverse. You may remember it's how we first encountered Francisca, the algae aquaculturalist we spoke with in episode four. You see, I've started a new research project on how the various socio-political societal structures in different universes affect the natural environment in ways that create virtuous or vicious cycles that allow a civilization to flourish or decay. Among the different signals I processed, I came across yet another diary entry from a universe very similar to my own, but centuries later. I found it very interesting because it felt like a culmination of several other stories we featured on this podcast. So I immediately wanted to share it with Mike and Antonis. After putting Mike and Antonis on Tev Dillard's trail, it wasn't long before they worked their glider magic and established contact. Yeah, I remember that very well. It really felt like the perfect opportunity to reiterate our mission on Future Diaries, to build better presents and better futures, and share it with our audience for that reason. Our guest today is Tev Dillard, a young Sir Lydian xenoanthropologist with a special interest in Earth and humans in her universe. If you felt a little disoriented after our last episode traveling through the Messenger's narrative universe, don't worry. Tev Dillard's universe will likely feel much closer to home for many of our listeners. Although, unfortunately, that may be little consolation. You see, in Tev Dillard's universe, humans on Earth went extinct after powerful people badly mismanaged humans' interactions with their environment. Sadly, in many ways, it's a story we've heard told before on Future Diaries. And Teftelar felt powerless to stop it, owing to the Serlidin's policy of non-intervention. I'm curious to learn more about the Serlidin's politics of non-intervention. What are its origins, and why did they decide to take on that direction? And how are folks like Teftelar challenging it? Well, shall we have a listen? Yes, please. All right, let's roll. Hello? I really hope this thing is working. 
My name is Tev Delar, and I'm a researcher from the species of Ceralidin. We inhabit many planets, but our homeworld is Denan Vilas, about 200 light years away from Earth. Oh, um, I suppose I need to explain that I'm from a different part of the multiverse than you, but we also have an Earth here. And from a very young age, I've had a keen interest in humans. When I was still in my community training, it's, uh, it's similar to your schools, we had to prepare a project about an alien culture to understand better just how diverse the cultures in our universe can be. Being the curious child I was, I scoured their archives to find a worthy subject. In some old records, I discovered studies of humans. They were brief, but they piqued my interest. Their societies, hierarchies, religions and philosophies were so different, yet oddly familiar on the fundamental questions. It became my passion project. Without technology, I could tune into their radio stations, watch their reels and news. I didn't understand the language, but that made it all the more irresistible to find out more, to dive deeper into their culture. I suppose that project was what started my love for, um, in your language it would probably be called xenoanthropology, the study of alien cultures. Back in my own planetary system, I got to know many species, observed their habits and lived in their societies for decades. I have to add that my people live for hundreds of years, which is perfect for long-term investigations. But my interest in humans always drew me back. The space between Denan Vilas and Earth at that time was impassable due to the pollution caused by the Ivdari Wars, so I could only keep watching them from afar, piecing together events. Over time, I learned human languages to understand them better. I admired their tenacity their stubbornness and nearly unstoppable will to survive in any conditions. But of course, by then I already knew that they were considered extinct. The problem of such a long distance between us was that all we could observe reached us hundreds of years after the fact. For a long time, humans were building up their mighty countries, reaching new heights of intricate technology. But in the process, they also took all they could from their planet, driving it into deep imbalance. They were aware of the looming crisis, but somehow did not address it. The rulers of wealthy empires and unions of states knew that for the time being, they wouldn't be affected as much as the rest of the world. So they just chose to look the other way when others started running out of water and suffering from unbearable heat. Their advances kept pushing their planet's climate to the edge until eventually their biosphere started to collapse. Millions of people from poorer countries had to flee rising waters, abandoning their homes because wildfires would paint the skies red and suffocate all living things. Scared of the fleeing masses and unwilling to share, wealthy states surrounded themselves with walls and armies. Desperate people started storming their borders not everyone chose to be selfish. The Balkan Union was the first to accept refugees. The Uralic states were soon to follow. Nonetheless, the tensions were high between those who welcomed refugees and those who didn't. The latter grew concerned for their resources, spurred on by politicians who wanted to stay in power. Small conflicts flared up between the states all the time. And then, an unfortunate raid by an anarchist group on Pyrenees water storage was mistaken for an attack, and a full-on war broke out. All the beauty and might of human character 
seem to be devoured by greed and a wild animal will to survive, even if they'd have to drown others in blood to achieve that. And then, then it only took one short-sighted ruler to make a wrong decision and use the bioweapons left over from the Atlantic War that would quickly wipe out all humans from the face of Earth. I don't think they intended it, but the effect was swift and within a short time their weapons brought about the end of the human race. It was painful to watch, knowing there's nothing you can do to stop it. It has already happened, we were watching the past. Yet I still dreamed of reaching Earth and seeing the remnants of human culture, even if its creators were long gone. I'd been studying various alien species for about 50 years when our engineers invented the wormhole stabilizers that would allow me to reach the solar system and Earth, bypassing the Ifdari void. As soon as I got the chance, I stepped down onto the now peaceful plains of their planet. Finally, I could touch the stones of their bridges and walk in their cathedrals. I landed in what humans used to call Europe, walking through cities and towns, now abandoned and overgrown. There was beauty in desolation. Other species have reclaimed human spaces, even though humans have only been gone a couple hundred years. The land still bore signs of their presence, but animals and plants reigned now in the ruins. Could humans have imagined how fast their legacy would disappear after they were gone? I walked in their steps through forests and mountains, not knowing whether what I wanted to see with my own eyes was still there. I've always been fascinated by the Gothic cathedrals humans built. They perfectly reflect this desire to rise higher than ever before, to tame the wild and bring symmetry into the chaos. I wanted to see whether the ancient Cologne Cathedral was still towering over its surroundings. And I still remember the first time I saw it in the distance. A green giant in the sea of trees. Grass was growing inside, sunlight pouring through broken windows. It was falling apart. Everything that made it so glowing and lively was gone, impossible to recover. But it was a reminder that even though humans failed to unite in the face of crisis and spent their last moments killing each other, they were capable of creating beauty, a beauty that would surpass them in time. I was curious if Earth's biosphere recovered in the meantime, so I stayed here for another decade or so to merge with the environment and listen to its many voices. That's when I decided to record this message, even if it went against my people's tenets. We already knew about the multiverse, and I thought that maybe somewhere out there, there is a second Earth, one where humans are still alive. Maybe the story of our Earth could be a warning to others, Maybe at least in one world, they could preserve their planet and overcome their greed and indifference. It's unlikely I'll ever reach them. But just knowing that somewhere they might have a chance for a different, better future gives me hope.
you so much for joining us, Tev Dillar. Can you tell us more about yourself and this merging ability that you mentioned in your story? You also said something about breaking the tenets of your people. Can you elaborate on that? First, let me say thank you for contacting me. At the time I recorded and broadcast my story, I really didn't expect it would reach anyone. But here we are. To answer your question, as is common among my people, I tend to observe rather than participate. My species has a physical and mental ability to remain static for years while merging with our environment. Not necessarily the nature, just with the surroundings, whatever those are. In such a state, I can soak in everything that is happening around me, analyze it while noticing the tiniest details. It's a meditation of sorts that allows us to tune into our surroundings. That trait helps us remain in sync with the biospheres of the planet and make sure our impact doesn't disrupt the equilibrium. The fact that the Surladin live for up to 2,000 years on average is fundamental to that. Although, at 127 years old, I'm still considered fairly young and inexperienced. The Surladin, otherwise known as observers, have inhabited many planetary systems for millennia. They shaped some of those systems in their early ages through technology, but eventually, after some catastrophes and conflicts that they set off by their expansion, they developed a philosophy of non-interference. They stopped expanding their civilization and building trade routes. Then they withdrew and started quietly observing the lives of other species. Wow, your merging ability sounds like it would really benefit humans on Earth and many of the universes we've interacted with. It also reminds me of the human-plant hybrids like Dylan and his story about the kind folks of Titan, but it focuses on a very different purpose. It seems, however, that this merging ability can lead to social and political inaction. So, can you tell us about the Serlidan's interplanetary policy of non-intervention and the policy's origins? Conflict is brewing within our society, but it's still in its early stages and no proper discussion has started yet. A devastating war happened recently throughout our neighboring planetary systems. A war for resources that eventually wiped out the populations of those systems and made it impossible to traverse them. That disrupted the communication between various systems and cut some off completely. The Sarladin knew that the finite resources can actually be enriched and cultivated, so it would be enough for everyone, but they didn't share that knowledge since no one asked. Different alien civilizations perished, but such is the flow of things, so the older Sarladin don't feel that it's their responsibility to prevent such outcomes. Some of the younger ones, like me, mourn the extinction of those alien species, especially when it could have been prevented. In some ways, I understand the appreciation of our elders for the equilibrium and their acceptance that we cannot change others. In many cases, it would indeed be ethically fraught to intervene, but staying silent in the face of destruction feels morally wrong. But then again, perhaps I am too young to understand. It must be challenging carrying this lesson you've learned from your studies, feeling like what you've learned isn't being taken seriously by others from your homeworld. I can't help but think of stories of survivors like Danny and the children of the earth, or even the alter ego of Antonis living on a scorching hot earth. Their societies collapse for what seems like the same reasons. Can you tell us more about the war and what you think led to the entire interplanetary system getting wiped out in your universe? 
An alien species called the Ifdari had been continuously expanding throughout our neighboring systems for a couple of centuries when they discovered Previum. It was a rare element that could help produce massive amounts of energy, but had a very short lifespan after having been harvested. This forced the Ifdari commanders to make rushed decisions on how to use its power before it was lost. In addition to that, Previum was essential to keeping alive the shining spheres of the Dergnivore, the deities of a species native to one of the planetary systems that the Ifdari had claimed as theirs. The Dergnivore weren't numerous, but they were fiercely protective of their gods and were ready to use all the tools at their disposal to protect them. It didn't take long before this led to war between them and the Ifdari. Many other species were roped into the conflict. It kept escalating until, eventually, the Dergnivore made a decision to sacrifice everyone, including themselves, for the glory of their gods, the Shining Spheres. From time immemorial, the Dergnivore had kept an artifact safe, an artifact that they knew could unite them with their gods. But once it was triggered, the unthinkable happened. The massive star of their system, the Gerediva, went supernova and collapsed into a pulsar, a neutron star that emits X-rays and radioactive gamma rays that are deadly to all living beings. Most species in that planetary system could not have foreseen this and perished, including the Ifdari. But what none of them knew was that Previum can be cultivated, which means there could have been enough for everyone. The Serladin knew, but withheld information, as they didn't want to interfere. Oh, wow, that's heartbreaking to hear. In describing the demise of humans on Earth in your universe, you talk about their failure to care for their environment and the ways they depleted their resources. As a xenoanthropologist, though, I'm sure you've noticed cultural differences between alien species on different planets and within each species on a planet and their relationships with their natural environments, not to mention differences in what they consider natural resources at all. In our work as gliders, we've encountered cultures that were doing a better job of managing resources, like those Lisa encountered while gliding in a parallel universe in Berlin, or Francisca's Blue Impact Year that we've broadcast about before. How is it that the more destructive cultures and powerful people's poor decisions led to the demise of humans around the world in your universe? On Earth, as well as on many other planets in my universe, Land was divided among different territorial enclaves, similar to what you would call countries, whose decision-making systems, what you'd call governments, regulated the flow of people across borders. Unsurprisingly, decision-makers were able to rise to power by pitting people of one enclave against another by appealing to their emotions, blaming others for their own failures to govern and manage natural resources and their ecosystems effectively. By shifting blame onto others, they could also claim powerlessness to change their circumstances without attacking others. The leaders of enclaves with earlier access to valuable resources, having grown more powerful as a result, claimed to act to preserve the privileges of people in their own enclaves and preemptively attack those less powerful. But the bioweapons their leaders used had farther reaching consequences than intended, which were already bad enough. They were aiming for a local genocide, but ended up killing their own populations as well. With a lack of labor, food systems and economies collapsed, leading to societal collapse and eventually species extinction. My people's policy of non-intervention meant that we had made no effort even to be in a place to intervene. 
and we were both powerless and had no collective desire to prevent humans from killing themselves off. Even though we have observed many such instances on other planets throughout our universe. Personally, despite the ethical complexity of intervention, I feel we have to do something. That we should at least attempt to communicate or influence others to save themselves. That must be a real struggle. Feeling like others do not share your philosophy and are unwilling to critically re-examine their own. It sounds similar to the struggles Penny Wilson encountered, trying to convince the leaders of Subaquatic Salvation Project Colony 3 that it was safe to return to land, although her efforts ended up having a positive outcome in that universe. The Serladin's policy of non-intervention also reminds me of the Dan Gee's decision to program in Jenny web nodes like Colony 235F to not be able to intervene in their affairs although the original motivations behind each policy vastly differ. What strategies are you and others adopting to resist your elders' domineering views on non-intervention? I can't say I have really started fighting against the stance of my people. It's not easy to overturn a philosophy that has been in place for hundreds of thousands of years before my lifetime. But we have to start somewhere. My peers and I are collecting stories about the species that perished, and could have been saved if Serladin provided them with useful information. As our society has a tradition of yearly gatherings for thematic speeches to debate issues at hand, we are planning to actively participate in them, and argue that offering counsel has value, and does not necessarily interfere in destinies of other species. Furthermore, sometimes the untainted perspective of youth, however naive, is exactly what is missing to break the echo chamber of our elders. Total non-intervention, while preventing active harm, also precludes offering valuable insights learned over millennia of observation. We do not need to force anyone to follow our advice, but we can open our treasuries of knowledge to everyone, instead of passively watching civilizations and societies collapse across the multiverse. On Future Diaries, we've heard many stories that describe positive or negative aftermaths of the different actions, interactions, and reactions of societies towards their environment. We'd like to end with a question we often ask our guests that we feel reflects our mission, as well as your motivation to share your stories with us. What do you hope our listeners take away from your story? This would also be great for my research. What I'd like your listeners to think about is that choosing to look away and not to interfere in a crisis, even if it doesn't affect you personally yet, is harmful. My people's policy of non-interference in the lives of others has led to disasters before. The universe lost countless species that could have created something beautiful or, or useful to everyone, or they just could have kept on living. If only Serladin did something, or at least offered counsel, That's the reason I've recorded and transmitted this message through our own version of what you call intertemporal communications technologies. I hope that telling humans of your universes about the demise of humans and mine may help them avoid the same fate. I couldn't have said it better myself. That will do it for this episode of Future Diaries. And to you, our listeners, if you have enjoyed our show, please share it with your friends. And be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Future Diaries on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed in your universe. You can also visit our website at futurediaries.show, where you can find additional content about us and the universes we come from, as well as subscribe to our newsletter and find other ways to support the show. I'm Antonis. I'm Mike. 
And I'm Caitlin. We'll talk to you in the future.